0: Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Open All Night, Part 3. It was late third shift when two men walked in, the big doorman, Mickleston, and another one, a guy that Flo, peeking through the serving window and a haze of cigarillo smoke, thought she recognized as Carbonari's Faraday sommelier, Wazdo. Wazdo had a slick hard case in his hand, like for carrying expensive bottles of wine. Faux eggs were frying on the grill and she couldn't step away immediately so she just watched. New Guy saw them a moment later and also smelled trouble. He didn't offer his usual perky, stupid New Guy greeting to them and instead just stood there next to Bugs and Kindy at their table. These two always hung out late at the diner on Six Day, playing cards, their booth converted to a mini-casino for the shift. In his mind, Bugs had somehow conflated medieval combat with an equally medieval betting game called Basset. For hours, he and his wife would throw down aces and clubs, instead of maces and clubs, against a wide variety of six-day regulars, penny-ante stakes notwithstanding. They often faced off against Benny Boots and his husband, or Captain Hannah powder with one or more of her crew members whenever her boat was docked. But at the moment, they were alone, sparring between themselves. They had tried to get New Guy into a game, but he was too busy with the cleaning. Such a warm, friendly atmosphere, Mickleston pronounced after a long moment of silence. "'Extraneous conversation in the diner died during this sinister declaration, adding to it. "'New Guy glanced at Flo, looking for a cue. "'His hand hovered over his left forearm, "'where he always wore some kind of strap-on communication gear. "'She motioned for him to hold off. "'What do you want?' he asked the big man instead. "'A couple of drinks of chaka might be nice.' came the overly offhand reply. He nodded for Wazdo to grab a seat in the far booth, just beyond the card game, and the little man did so with a darting-eyed slink clutching his case to his chest. Mickleston stayed where he was. Red or tan, new guy questioned, though he didn't move. Whatever, the doorman answered, grinning brightly beneath his long horseshoe mustache. ''Right,'' the waiter replied after a time, moving slowly behind the counter, eyes pointedly on Mickleston. Bugs had put down his cards and started to get up from the booth, but Kindy held him in place effortlessly with one small brown hand on his massive bicep. At the serving window, Flo was distracted by the faux eggs. ''This is such a nice little place,'' Mickleston declared after a bit stepping over to the dessert display case in the corner, which slowly rotated with sparkling enticement. He didn't look enticed. Instead, he grabbed the edge of the case with one hand, while looking back at New Guy. Oops. The shield glass display rack couldn't be damaged by just falling over, but the chocolate, sweet bean, and carrot cakes inside it certainly could, and they fell all over the place inside and out, with a resounding crash. At new guy's feet, a beautiful fruit pie lay on the floor, face down and ruined. The chubby little guy didn't look for permission now and just cursed while waving over his forearm. Bugs jumped up and started stalking over, but Mickleston hooted in low laughter while picking up the fallen, pastrified display case. Before the night could close the distance... The doorman launched the case at him, catching the other man off balance and knocking him to the floor. Varlet! Bugs cried from under a layer of cake and frosting. There were shouts and the tinkling impacts of crockery and cutlery while New Guy was calling loudly to the police, apparently talking to an invisible dispatcher in midair. Mickleston laughed again like a steady chortle, Grabbing at a fake potted plant in the corner that Gonda had given to Max years before, declaring the diner barren of at least the illusion of life. It had sat there all that time, with the elderly Jill, the only person in existence to ever think of dusting it. With one hand, the tall man threw the plant at new guy. This wasn't a fast process, and the short, chubby man had time to yelp and duck below the counter. The fake plant slammed into the wall behind, scattering mugs and glasses, all shatterproof, thankfully, onto the floor, along with several boxes and bottles. Bugs tried getting up, but slipped on whipped cream from one of the ruined cakes and flopped on his back with a howl of surprise and frustration. Kindy was by his side, trying to help, but likewise went down. Peach icing was the culprit in her case. Mickleston looked around at the chaos and screams, and he leaned back laughing. It was a bellow, a full belly guffaw, filled with sadistic mirth and immense self-satisfaction. This was why he didn't see Flo approaching, and why he was suddenly thrown into shock when he found both his powerful arms locked under one of hers and his head locked under the other. He struggled, but it was like being in a yoke. In fact, the more he tried to fight, the tighter she gripped, eventually eliciting a squeak of pain from the big man. Failing to extract his arms or head, Mickleston tried to set his legs and pushed back, but the cook was having none of it and simply heaved back at an angle, lifting the man off the floor entirely. She duck-walked with her squirming, whimpering, mulleted burden right out the front door, which opened as they approached. One of the armored fleet soldiers, this one, number 158, was just approaching with rapid, clanging strides, calling in an amplified male voice, Break it up, you two, break it! but trailed off when he saw the incredibly awkward, yet incredibly easy way she held the man. Flo threw Mickleston to the ground, right at the fleety's metal-shod feet, like the man was a bag of trash, and the soldier just part of the sanitation crew. The prone man sobbed in pain and relief, finally able to breathe again. Tears were streaming down his long face, and he did his best to scramble back behind the military man, cowering from the cook in honest terror. Uh, okay. 158 announced metallically. Well, you're both under arrest. Don't move. But his voice faded again when Flo turned slowly toward him, titanic fists on her mountainous hips. Remarkably, the slender cigarillo in her mouth was fully intact and actually still bore a long ash she'd yet to tip. The fry cook just stood there, waiting for the soldier to make his move. And he eventually did. That is, uh, you, there, behind me on the ground. You're under arrest. Get up. Most of the diner was outside now, including New Guy. And he said, They just came in and smashed up the place. Who they? The featureless soldier demanded. Bug stomped out then, his head covered in white cream and a cherry dragging the squealing Wazdo behind, who tried to bat at the powerful man with his hard case, but missed every time. Let me go. I didn't do anything. Officer, this man is attacking me. I'm not a cop and I'm not an officer, the soldier snapped. I work for a living. These two are together, new guy explained, pointing across the street. Employees of Carbonari's. In front of the Italian restaurant, Brunda Sowell stood with fierce elegance in a flawless, plum-colored dress, slender arms folded, a wicked smile playing on her beautiful, dark features. She put them up to it, Kindy accused, offering an insulting hand gesture that the other, on the other side, pretended to find quite shocking. Was she over here too? No, New Guy admitted reluctantly and with deep frustration. Then judge figure it out 158 concluded turning to lift Mickleston by the lapel of his badly wrinkled but nonetheless expensive jacket with one augmented arm quickly and with well-practiced moves he had tape cuffs on both the doorman and the sommelier all the while playing an amplified recording of their rights during detention under alliance law other soldiers now approached his backup He handed the two men off, as well as the hard case, to be transported to a fleet holding cell to cool their heels before being released to the civvy police. Okay, everyone. Number 158 concluded to the still-gathering crowd, Show's over. Break it up. Flo had barely moved the whole time, including the cigarillo in her mouth, which was now almost all ash. Those from the Fourth Street diner camp watched her lead. Eventually, she spat out the small Mosca stub and nodded at New Guy. They all then filed back in, except for a lingering Bugs and Kindy. VANDALS! The old warrior shouted at the backs of the two prisoners as they were escorted to a fleet roller just then coming to a stop at the corner. He then rounded on Brunda, who still watched from across the road, deeply entertained. A fine puppet show, madam, he accused, the whipped cream and cherry on his head now listing badly. I could hardly see their strings. (sighs) Laughing, the restaurateur curtsied, then opened the big wood-like door and disappeared inside. Max had come in as soon as Flo called him, but just as the featureless soldier had intoned, the show was over. He contacted police HQ to tell them he was pressing charges, which they acknowledged without ceremony or even apparent interest. Max smelled something bad on the other end of the comm and asked if the men had already been released from custody. The officer hemmed and hawed for a while, saying she couldn't comment on active investigations and didn't have access to any information and that someone would be communicating with him shortly, all of which answered his question quite adequately. He hung out at the diner for a while, middle of the night for him though it was. Eventually he napped in his chair in the office. New Guy was pulling an all-shifter, cleaning, scrubbing, and polishing everything that could take a rag or brush. When the fry cook awoke a few hours later, he found himself short on words for a moment. The place positively shined.
1: You're not as useless as you look,
0: new guy, he praised, and the chubby man beamed. Flo glanced around from behind the service window and nodded in agreement. Max dashed home for a quick shower and change, but on his way back, decided to go up to Topstock's distribution warehouse in the hub. It was still early, and the place was extremely busy, getting ready for daily deliveries. But he wanted to secure a special order of one dozen folets mignons for the secret menu that only the locals knew about. Blackened, fine-cut fake steak on one day. That was the tradition. It was going to be business as usual, no matter the outcome of the licensing battle. He wouldn't have anyone saying that the Fourth Street Diner had ever been anything but what it was, even right up to the very end. He took over the grill on his return, standing on tiptoes to give Flo a peck on the cheek. You're one of the good ones, Flozer. Now go home and rest. She nodded, fishing out the cigarillo pack rolled up in her shirt sleeve. You'll win this, she encouraged simply, lighting up, and then was gone. The first shift rush hit like a brick, the way it always seemed to do when he had things on his mind. New Guy stayed until Immy showed up, and even for a while after, to help with the crowd. Eventually, though, he wished Max luck and left. Max didn't notice when Peppo Dagg had come in. Technically, the man didn't need permission to inspect the place. So long as a restaurant was open for business, he could enter the premises and look around, even going in back, provided he didn't interfere with the normal running of the place. In practice, Peppo was a friend, and always gave him advance notice and a happy smile. The man didn't look happy this day, possibly due to the tiny monitor drone floating at his shoulder silently dogging each of his movements. The balding, wizened, white-haired man looked to be in his mid-to-late sixties, and always had. For twenty-five years he'd been coming in to inspect the diner, and Max had even known him from before this, from when he was still apprenticing at other places. Clearly, Peppo had periodic genetic work done to reset the maturation process, but for whatever reason always chose this relatively advanced organic age to maintain. It was a mystery, but the man never brought it up himself, so it was rude to ask. Hey, Pep, Max greeted from the grill while flipping pancakes. Hello, Max, the inspector answered quietly as he entered the kitchen, nose to his data pad. He turned his head this way and that, backward and forward, eyes scanning left and right, up and down. He stooped low and actually got down on his knees to spy under the carousel stove. Crap! Max couldn't remember the last time that had been cleaned. But Peppo looked pleasantly surprised and just nodded, checking off the entry on his pad. Good old new guy. Who's your friend? the cook asked, with a nod to the drone. Third party oversight, Peppo replied in a clipped fashion that was very unlike him. The hygiene department has contracted an independent efficiency company to follow the entire assessment process. You know your job, Max offered, feeling the waters. You know me. What's this really about? We're going strictly by the book, the inspector answered too firmly. It's an official mandate. My department, as well as the mayor's office, is watching every step. There are people following the report in real time as I update it here. The startup list is longer than it used to be, Max, so just go about your business. This will take time. So Max did exactly that, though reluctantly and uneasily. The cooking helped to keep his mind off things. He started on the chili for the mid-shift lunch rush. It was early, but he liked to slow-cook it for at least three hours. Immy tried some banter with Pepo for a bit, but had no more luck in drawing the man out than had her boss. With the drone watching and recording everything, it was simply not possible to talk freely. Even idle chatter could be construed by a hostile observer to be an attempt at interference or influencing. The regulars all knew it, too. Jill and her husband Harry always came by for the early bird special. Whatever it happened to be, and they were here now in a front booth. They both knew Peppo from the many years they'd been coming by, but they didn't say a word to the man today. Gonda swung by and started to walk back into the kitchen, like always, but Max gave her bug eyes and did a shooing motion. She hadn't thought twice about it and looked suddenly abashed. Peppo and the drone were directly behind her, watching impassively. She pointed to the employee's only sign over the kitchen door and shrugged in a showy, oh, dopey me, sort of way, then slunk over to an empty seat at the counter. Peppo checked something off on his data pad. The mood of the place was decidedly subdued from this point on, despite the fast business. Max worked hard, keeping up with his tickets and working with the chili in the big stockpot. He liked to bring everything to a hard boil, then turn the heat back and let it simmer. The boil needed watching, though, as did a big pot of multigrain nabon, which was a hot cereal popular with the immigrant crowd. First shift rolled by without his fretting over Peppo much, but he did notice him from time to time, and that was enough. The man spent a long while inspecting the walk-in pantry, and even longer going over the cold shelves one by one. It was unnerving, but the jitters Max had been feeling the last few days were absent, because the day was finally here, and he was working. There was a flow to this when it was busy, like a dance. When he had someone like Imelda, who'd been working for him for so many years, and a diner full of regulars who knew what they liked and how Max liked to serve it, It all went smoothly, like water tumbling over rocks. Lots of noise, lots of chaos, but constantly moving, and nothing backing up. Emmy, waffles, order up. Henton loves a cow, order up. Dairy fruit bowl, order up. They want butterette? It was an ordinary day. An ordinary day. Yet there was Peppo still, in his robotic shadow, the man was bending down, looking behind, standing on crates to spy up on top. He bothered none of the customers, but many of them knew who he was and why he was there, and they held their collective breath. Pitt came in early and didn't bring his tri Max almost burst into tears at the sight of the sacrifice. "'How's it going?' the younger man asked in a subdued voice, taking over the grill. Max stepped to the chili and gave it a stir. It was looking, smelling, and tasting good, but needed more time. They got Peppo on a short leash, he replied, equally quiet. It feels all wrong, Pitsky. Game's not over, Max. You're the best in the league. Considering your luck, sports references aren't any comfort. I know, Pitt admitted miserably. Jersey was giving me the toxic eye all morning because of that ten I threw at the generators. If a man works hard, he has a right to a little recreational spending now and then, doesn't he? Not for nothing, but your now and then comes by an awful lot, Pit. Jerseline's a good woman, so she wouldn't be pissed without a good reason. I know why she's pissed. Knowing why and knowing she's right are not the same. You ought to rethink things. That's all I'm saying. Pitt mumbled lowly, which Max was usually prepared to ignore, but he heard Gonda's name along with something about the longest courtship in history, and he bristled. What was that? Not a thing in this galaxy, Pitt replied sharply, then focused on the grill. The chili was very absorbing for a time, and he experimented with a bit of kalbet spice from over the border, a kind of sharp, aromatic-cardamom hybrid that was gaining pace as a great partner for chili pepper and for spicy dishes in general. Max had bought a jar out of curiosity, never really figuring on changing his famous chili recipe, but realized it was worth consideration. The calbet didn't change or mask the heat of the accompanying spices, but it seemed to bring the actual flavor of the chili pepper front and center. It was impressive, one taste, and he was a believer. He turned to Pitt with the big spoon, to have him take a taste, only to find Peppo standing in the doorway, tapping away at his datapad. Well, Max, I'm about done here. And I can't comment until all the information has been collated. Sorry. Max put down the stock spoon, irritatedly, and started to speak, but Peppo held up a hand and, with the subtlest of head movements, indicated the drone floating just over his shoulder. The health inspection includes a review of your application and certifications, Max. Once all that has been gone through, we'll be able to arrive at a final score and you'll be contacted. You have got to be kidding. After all this, I'm still hanging by my thumbs to hear whether or not my business is closing? Peppo shook his head back and forth quickly, but in a very small, constrained manner, his eyes looking scared and rolling in their sockets in the vague direction of the all-seeing surveillance robot. The older fry cook shook his head and then looked to Pitt, who made little keep-it-cool motions with his hands. Gonda was still around, but behind Peppo out in the diner. She had clearly heard everything and looked at her boyfriend with pleading eyes. Max sighed. It was a different world. Sometimes you had to do things differently. Mix it all up or try new spices. Sometimes you had to take a leap. Of course, Peppo. My apologies. I'll wait for the results. The inspector smiled and gave him a tiny thumbs-up motion that the drone couldn't see from its angle behind. This gave Max hope. Hope that evaporated the moment he heard terrified shouting from out front. He dashed past Peppo and the drone, the latter of which latched onto him and followed, and pushed by several people who were standing in horror and stepping back from the corner table clearly just evacuated since food and even a jacket and bag were left behind. But it was the black figures dashing across the tabletop and scuttling away across the floor that made him stop in complete shock. They were cockroaches, dozens of them, dark brown and huge. Roaches and other vermin had eventually made their way out to the stars as passengers in packing crates, shipping containers, and even people's luggage. Most stations were hyper-vigilant about detecting any such creatures. The specter of rats, for instance, haunted every customs official on the docks, but they still found their way in from time to time. These critters were exceptional, though. Four or even five centimeters in length and two or three across. They scuttled from the light quickly, apparently coming from underneath the table or bench. People screamed, some trying to run away, some stomping the floor with startled conviction. Behind him, people were muttering and swearing, and the couple that had been sitting there started complaining very loudly. The man had first noticed the insects when one of them was on his dress jacket. Now he was afraid to even touch it. What if the things got in the bag? Did they bite people? Were they poisonous? What were they? Didn't he ever clean this place? How disgusting! Their solicitor was going to hear about this! Looking under to see where they were all coming from, Max noticed one last insect crawling away from under the bench seat. He got down on his hands and knees and saw a box or something attached to the underside. He pulled it off with a tug. It was about the size of his hand and had a glue strip on top with which it had been secured. The front had a little hinged door held open with a spring. There was a circuit chip and a tiny power cell on the bottom. Sabotage! He stood and turned back, ready to cry foul and name his enemies, but the faces that met him froze the words on his tongue. Peppo stared at the insects, shocked and with very sad eyes. Pitt wore that defeated look he reserved for when his team was losing. Gonda seemed so pained, so helpless, Max almost didn't recognize her. And the drone just hovered there watching, watching it all. You have been listening to Open All Night, a short story written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2015 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Open All Night is called Music of Frog by Kurogi and is available on SoundCloud.com. Open All Night is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.